All right, Fabi, tell us what did you bring? Hi, I have a manipulative toy. Oh, manipulative toy. I like it. It's so colorful. All right, we'll find out more about this in a moment. And Jackie, what did you bring? I brought a box of laminated quotes. Hmm. Oh, we might have to pull a quote be before we are we're done here. Well, thank you two for coming. First of all, welcome to you two. Welcome to everyone that might be tuning in to this episode of Not Quite Strangers. It's an opportunity to bring two people together who do not know each other, hence not quite strangers, and build connection, right? Also inspire curiosity. And we might even challenge the status quo. I don't know. We'll see how this conversation goes. My name is Valerie Hope. I am your host. And I brought together two amazing human beings. As usual, this program, I only bring amazing human beings to come and have these conversations. But I've known Fabi for like maybe two years, Fabi, I think. It's been a couple years. Yeah, a little over two years, maybe. A little over two years. Fabi and I, I participate in Toastmasters, and we've been in the same club for the last couple of years. And she's done some really amazing things in her career around what working with children as a speech therapist. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder who I might invite to speak with you, Fabi. And I thought about, and Jackie, you and I have knew, <laughs> known, have known of each other, have known each other. 20, a little bit more than two years. <laughs> a little more than two. I think we met, what, how, what, <laughs> give away my age a, a couple of decades it's been a couple of decades at least that yeah. we first met when we worked together in we traveled together and up with people you were a, a participant in the program I was a staff member and we've just been like you know social media connected and reached you reached out to me like a couple months ago I can't remember yeah a few months back yeah I don't even remember what or how we got reconnected, but we ended up having a conversation and I was like, oh my goodness, I know you should be on my podcast too. And then Fabi's going to be, the two of you should come together because Jackie, you were sharing some of the things that you were doing around mental health in Ireland, where you are, and Fabi, you here in Dallas, Texas. So of course, these are two perfect, not quite strangers to introduce to one another. First of all, welcome to the show, to the two of you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. What, what had you say yes? I'll start. Um, I, I'm, I'm having a kind of a year of saying yes. I, I changed careers at the end of August in 2020. Probably not the best time that most people would choose to change <laughs> careers in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so I, I've just been embracing every opportunity that's come up since and trying to say yes to lots of new things. So I uh, hadn't done a podcast before. You kind of said, I would like you to do a podcast. I went, yeah, okay, why not? A year of yes. Ooh. A year of yes. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you. I'm glad that I got to be one of your first yes experiences. Well, not maybe the first yes, but at least from the podcast standpoint. And I'd maybe go back and we'll talk a little bit more about what else you said yes to that might be interesting. We I might about... be able to tell you all about that. <laughs> <laughs> then it's, it's, a, it's a G rated show. So <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Got it. And Fabi, what about for you? What, what had you say yes? Well, um, I always enjoy time with you and I have a lot of admiration for you. So I thought it would be a really nice opportunity for me to kind of um, 
expose people to what communication disorders are and just share my experience with it. Excellent. Well, and I know I've been kind of nudging you. I'm like, Fabi should have her own podcast, but you know, that's okay. You got to be on one to have one probably, you know, get the experience. So who knows? One thing at a time. (laughs) One thing at a time. One thing at a time. Well, I really appreciate that. So I've asked you guys to, to bring these objects and specifically something that represents your gift, right? And your desire to serve other people. So we'll start with you, Fabi. You showed us this box of, you said manipulative or, or manipulated toys. I, I, yeah, it, it? It, it's a toy and it can, it's like a Santa and then you put the string and you can um, make it look different ways. They're like like puzzle pieces, it looks like, that you can mm-hmm. connect. Okay, yeah. And I really like this because it can, with my uh, students or my kids that I work with uh, during therapy, it'll really facilitate a lot of conversation and creativity. So uh, that's why I picked this item. Interesting. And so when you're talking about the kids that you work in therapy, tell us a little bit more about your world, just for people to have some context for what you do. Oh, did I freeze? Did you? No, oh, I think no, Fabi's frozen. Fabi, you froze. Fabi's frozen, sorry. Oh, no. All right, Fabi, you're frozen right now, so I don't know if you can hear us, but we'll have Jackie share her, her what she brought, her, I'll go her ahead. box of quotes. Briefly, we'll yes, yeah, so this, this is a box of quotes that I used in my previous job, um, and it started out with uh, my being a fan of Pinterest, and I love quotes, and I collect quotes, And then I would often share these quotes with the teenagers and the young people I was working with. So then I started printing off the quotes and laminating them. So they're very rough and ready. Um, But I would give most of the kids I was working with a quote or two at the end of every session we had. And I didn't realize the impact that was having until I was leaving. And the amount of teenagers who came back and said, oh, I'm going to miss you. I have your quotes all up around my mirror. I have my quotes up on your wall, on my wall, or I have my quotes in my pocket or my wallet. And so I just, uh, it's a really meaningful thing for me that uh, there are little quotes floating around that I passed out to people over the years. I love it. You're going to have to read a quote in a second. I think we lost Fabi's connection. So in case you guys were wondering why she's being so silent. (laughs) because <laughs> she's not here right now <laughs> she'll connect back in a minute <laughs> she will connect in just a moment but tell us like give us a, a one of the quotes i'd love to hear uh, just pick the top one off the pile it says when someone says you can't do it do it twice and take pictures <laughs> so some of them are kind of encouraging some of them are uplifting some of them are inspiring and uh, next one would be we're stuck inside a giant floating orb in the middle of nowhere it's okay to feel a little lost sometimes where did you get, you found these on Pinterest? They're on Pinterest, yeah. And I just printed off a number of sheets of them and then I would laminate them. And, and when I run out, I would do another bath. And what was it that inspired you? To actually... and so and yeah, would... I always have a box. Um, what inspired you? I think we're having a little What connection. inspired me? Yeah, what inspired you to give them? At what point did you decide, hey, this person should, could use one of these quotes? Well, I was I was giving them anyway, verbally for a long time. And then I just I suppose when 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 Pinterest became so popular and I I realized they were a lot there were a lot of extra quotes on Pinterest and that they were really beautiful, you know, because they have the the visuals. 
Ah. Uh, so I just loved that everything was unique and that you could print them off and, and use them. So I had been giving them out anyway, but it was it was just taking it to a different level, I suppose, to print them off and have the visual as well. I think that's fantastic. I love quotes too. And what was your criteria for choosing the quote? Like what would make you go, oh, this one is worthy of being printed and laminated? Mm. Um, it has to be kind of short and sweet. It can't be a big, long poem. Um, it has to be uplifting or thought provoking. Got it. So okay. they would be my criteria, uplifting and and or thought provoking. Got it. Um, yeah. I love those. I, I think I collect, I don't collect them like you in an organized fashion like that. Well, I do actually put, I put them in my note, in my notes app. And so I always go back. The only thing, what I, I love about it is I can just search for a word. Cause I don't always remember the quote, but I'm like, oh, it says this one word and then I can find it. I don't think I would have much luck looking through a box though. <laughs> just <laughs> it's saying. not a very big box. That so is a real tiny, yeah. I just kind of rumble through them until I find the ones I want. And I usually have two or three printouts of each one. Um, sometimes you have a favorite few that you share with a few people, you know, depending on the situation. So some of them are about grief. Some of them are about anxiety. Some of them are about courage. Some of them are about picking yourself up after fall. All those kind of things that people yeah. just want a bit of reassurance on. Excellent. Well, I don't want to talk too much about who you give these to yet because I wanted Fabi to be here to hear it. So she's back. Welcome back. Yes, no, that's okay. You know, when we're dealing with technology, all bets are off. <laughs> we just hope for the best. All right, so you're, so you're good. You're back. Um, you missed like this whole story about these quotes, these amazing quotes that Jackie can... No, I'm kidding. It, it was nice, but we don't have to go back into it. Um, but I do want, Jackie, I want you to share the people you said you give these quotes to, the people that you've worked with for so many years, which is one of, one of the things that inspired me to invite you to meet Fabi. Tell us a little bit about that work. So I, I worked, uh, Fabi, with uh, young people, children and adolescents in child and adolescent mental health up until last August. And at the end of every session, I used to, not at the end, but normally I would be giving them quotes or mentioning quotes that I really liked. And then I found Pinterest and Pinterest had all these beautiful visual quotes. So I started printing them off and giving them to the kids I was working with. So they, they just look like this or different pictures on them. And um, when I was finishing up, I didn't realize how meaningful they found it. I just enjoyed giving them. Um, but they, a, a good few of them kind of said, oh, you know, I'm gonna miss you. I, I have your quotes up all around my mirror. I have your quotes up in my room or in my wallet or whatever. So I realized just how, how much that meant to them to have, I, I guess it's like a little gift, even though it was such a small thing, it's like a little gift to take away and to think about. Yeah. Well, especially if you go through all the trouble of putting them together and you know packaging packaging it so nicely what what i'm curious about for the two of you is both of you chose to work with young people right and i know you're in transition jackie but um fabi i'm curious about for you what is it that inspired you to do the kind of work that you chose i always enjoyed um helping people and when i it wasn't my initial career choice, but I, I think that it was on my path, definitely. And I, when I learned about communication disorders, what it entailed, I thought it was the perfect fit for me. And, and it really has been. 
So it's very rewarding to me whenever I can uh, help my students or my patients make progress with their communication skills. Some of them it's with talking, it can be stuttering, um, it can be errors in their sounds. And for others, it's language, understanding uh, directions, mm. the ability to respond to things as well. So that, that's it for me. That's what drew your attention. You know, it's funny, I thought about you the other day because um, my nephew, he's 10 now and he stutters. I think I've shared this with you. Um, and for the first time I was, it's not it's not something that happens often, but every once in a while it, it comes up. And we were spending some time together um, a couple of days ago, he and his siblings. And the siblings went off someplace to go play or do something. And so I was with him one on one and I just asked him, I'm like, hey, so I noticed you stutter. Do you know when you stutter and when you don't? Like, do can you tell the difference of when it comes on? And as he was explaining, he started stuttering even more. And I got so nervous. I'm like, oh, no, I provoked it. <laughs> I'm like, oh. um, but it was interesting, at least to have a conversation. And he, you know, he explained what he explained. He said, sometimes some words when I talk too fast or, if I'm, you know, when I you know, don't take my time or if some words are difficult. Um, but I'm curious about how, and, and I'll ask you this, Fabi, but Jackie, maybe you have something that you want to weigh in on this too, but how do you, when you're working with young people, how do you make it safe for them to talk about something like that, like mental health or, or, or maybe a speech challenge that they're having? That's a good question. I, I think uh, one of my colleagues actually shared something with me a few years ago that I found really helpful. And he said, to get people talking, you have to start with the speakable and move to the unspeakable. It's mm. like on a spectrum. So you start literally with small talk and just making them comfortable and talking about whatever their interests are, whatever their hobbies are, anything that's easy to talk about that doesn't put them under pressure, that doesn't create anxiety, that is just whatever they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, you talk about school, you talk about friends, you talk about whatever. And you, you, you very quickly pick up, I'm sure you find this as well, Fabi, when you're tuning into people, you very quickly pick up where there's a topic that's a raw subject or um, something that triggers something in somebody, you can read it off their body language and then you kind of park that for a while. You don't just go for the jugular straight away. Um, you park it for a while and then later when you've built the trust and the communication, then you start digging a little bit deeper. But it's, it's, it's really quite a slow process sometimes. It depends on the young person. Some people are very open. Some kids are much more closed. It depends. But mm. it's really finding that way along that spectrum from what's speakable to what's more difficult to talk about. Speakable to unspeakable. Yeah, Fabi, what do you think? I agree. You have to make them feel comfortable, at ease, and then just kind of gradually work your way to some of that stuff. Like you're talking about your nephew and his stuttering, and I'm sure that he knows when he's going to stutter. And I'm sure that there are different types of stuttering. So he might just change the content completely just to avoid an episode where he's going to stutter. Um, so just bringing awareness to that as well as making them feel very, very comfortable so that you, they, it's a safe zone for them to express themselves. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think this idea of going from the speakable to the unspeakable kind of applies to even this conversation here. I mean, you guys don't know each other, right? It really does. <laughs> Literally met 30 minutes ago or something like that. So, and we started talking about this, I guess the speakable would be the weather, how hot it is in Texas, yeah. how rainy it's been exactly. <laughs> in Ireland, <laughs> right? And and now we're, we're going for the jugular. <laughs> I don't I don't have enough time to warm up to it, Jackie. I'm sorry. Yeah, work away. It's okay. I'm an open book. <laughs> no, but um, I think what would be interesting also, Jackie, is for you to share, like, what was it that inspired you to work with the population that you work with? Like, what, what drew you to working with young people and what's drawing you to shift? What drew me to working um, in mental health first, because I started out in generic social work and then I did a master's in social work, which was also a generic master's was that um, by the time I did my master's, I had traveled enough with people and met a lot of young people and, and done a lot of work in schools and community service stuff with upward people. Um, I didn't set out to work with young people. I just kind of fell into it really. Um, I ended up um, doing a placement on my master's in pediatrics in a regional hospital. And that was not my choice. I never wanted to do child protection social work ever, ever, ever. And I was very clear about that in my head, but there was a sort of a pressure through the colleges that you kind of have to do a child protection place work, placement because that's where the majority of the jobs are in social work in Ireland. And, um, and it's a good experience to have. So I kind of did that to tick the box um, didn't love that placement. It was a very informative, very uh, educational placement, but I didn't love it. Um, but while I was on placement, we had opportunities to visit other social workers in other areas and we were encouraged to do so because it's a 14 week long placement. So it's a good long placement. And I visited a social worker who was working in child and adolescent mental health services. And I spent a day hanging out with him and asking him about his job. And I remember having a conversation with him over lunch and saying, oh my God, you know, you're working with kids and teenagers. And do you not worry that you could get it wrong and you could mess up their heads and you know, <laughs> like mental health and kids like, oh my God, how do you do that work? You know, and I remember him saying, and it stayed with me my entire career. He said, look, it doesn't matter if you have four doctorates in psychology. It doesn't matter if you have a master's in child behavior studies. It doesn't matter if you can't connect with the kid. Forget about it. Mm. You have nothing. If you can connect with the kid, if you can do that much, the rest will just come because once you build that trusting relationship, they will work with you. And that stayed with me and that really inspired me. And actually that social worker, when I finished my master's, contacted me and told me there was a job coming up in CAMS and did I want to interview for it? So I just kind of fell into it. Um, it was my first job and I did it for about a year and then I moved into adult mental health for a while. And then I worked overseas and then I came back into child uh, and adolescent mental health services. And I suppose having had the experience of adult mental health was really interesting as well because I loved working in adult mental health. I loved mental health from the beginning. Oh. Um, but I did find that working, and you probably find this Fabi as well, working with children is, it's just really rewarding because they have incredible resilience and they bounce back a lot quicker than adults. So there's a lot more turnover in child and adolescent mental health. You don't tend to have, you do have some long-term cases, but it's much easier to get people in, make a difference, and get them out again out of the service which is lovely whereas with adults 
you might be working with someone over a number of years um, mm. and, and kind of holding the space for them, but it's it's not as quick a recovery um, for most. Is that true, Fabi, for you? Yeah, I, you know, it's true. Like when you connect with the kids, when you have that relationship, they will work with for you so much better. They're more cooperative and they want, they want to make you proud. You can see it in their little face and, and that's incredibly rewarding. So um, that's, that's how it is for me as well. You know, I think I obviously don't work in the same field that you do, but I um, my nieces and nephews, especially my older nieces, she is 15 and then I have a 12 year old niece right under her. They live close by. So I spend quite a bit of time with them and they accuse me on occasion of life coaching them. That's like the thing. If I ask <laughs> that one question or two questions about something, they're like, are you life coaching me right now to you, Valerie? I'm like, no, I'm just curious. What? <laughs> So I make them think, but I think, you know, to, to both of your points, I think the idea of connecting with them is really important to me, like understanding why they think what they think or why they behave the way they behave. And there's, not that I use it for leverage necessarily, there's, there's nothing that I need from them per se, but I know that my requests or my, you know, when I have to correct something, it goes further. Like it, there's, there's fertile ground, right. To have, a, maybe a, a more difficult conversation or to ask them for something that they're probably like, oh, I don't want to, <laughs> right? Because I've spent some time getting to know them and connecting. So I, I get that from that perspective, I think just working with kids. Um, I'm, I'm curious about the two of you. What's, it, what's been the impact of the work that you do? Like I, I get the, the fulfillment of working with other clients, but how does it impact you, good or bad? Either of you can go for let's let's hear from Fabi first. Actually, I'm curious. I'm just... uh, it, it impacts me on. I feel like you have to continuously be educating yourself, and you have to understand um, how. Specifically, talking about kids, and specifically talking about um, those early years. I would say like zero to three, like really educating yourself on how to um, stimulate them. Mm. And I think had I not had this career, I would have never really been uh, thought about how important it is to um, educate yourself, to provide that stimulus and know how to stimulate them in various ways so that they can have those opportunities. Can you tell us, Fabi, of a time where you've, where you felt like there was a something that you needed to learn or something that you needed to, to, you know, I don't know, maybe a challenge you were experiencing that you're like, okay, I need to go get some education about this to deal with it better. Uh, yes. And, and this I'll, is, by the way, not an interview. Like I'm not, I don't have a job <laughs> to offer you or a promotion <laughs> or anything like that. So anything goes, I'm really more curious about you and your experience than, um, then the question may have sounded. <laughs> it sounded like a, like a traditional interview question. Give us an example of when you've dealt with a child <laughs> and you've had to find additional education for yourself. Um, I'll, I'll share this and, and Jackie, I don't know if like you'll, it'll, it'll, it'll resonate with you in any way, but um, not specifically with communication disorders, but more like support for the parent because a lot of the kids do have a lot of misbehavior. And I remember this mom, her son is on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. 
at this point he was uh, about eight, give or take. And she was always so stressed and so um, overwhelmed. And there were a lot of things that they avoided, going to the grocery store, going out to a restaurant to eat. And I had to, I wanted to help her. So I needed to understand how I could help her, you know? So I think that I had to expose myself to more techniques so that I could share with her how, how she could handle and manage some of those behavior moments. So mm-hmm. that kind of relates to, to some of the work that maybe you do. Yeah, and, and when I was working in that service, actually our service covered young people uh, with ASD uh, on the spectrum. So we would do a lot of assessments and stuff. So that was an area of special interest of mine actually at the time, but then it changed, it moved to another service. So. We had less of it, but still, I still worked with a lot of kids on the spectrum. Yeah, I absolutely know what you mean. Yeah. What do you guys wish parents knew? Like, obviously, you, you're you working specifically with young people, you know, in the, in the roles that you've played. But it sounds like you've also had to balance expectations of parents, right? Empowering the parents, equipping them with to make sure that whatever you're doing also is followed, I imagine, followed up with. Like, what? What do you wish parents knew that they don't? Give me a soapbox now. Uh-oh. <laughs> this Uh-oh. is one of my favorite topics. Go. <laughs> is Go. I, uh, Fabi, you, you won't know this, but I have three kids of my own, aged 12, 10, and 7. So that keeps me on my toes at home. Um, my biggest thing about parents is I just wish parents cut themselves more slack. I think parents mm. are so hard on themselves. For the most part, um... I think parents are working so hard and and in our society, there are so many expectations, you know, not only are you supposed to provide a roof and food and shelter for your child, you're supposed to provide an education, you're supposed to make sure that they have extracurricular activities, you're supposed to make sure that their mental health is fine, that they're not spending too much time on social media, that they have the right friends, like it's just endless. And I think parents just get so exhausted trying to do it all and be all things and actually i'm a little bit of an advocate of of slightly lazy parenting which which sounds (laughs) odd i i I allow my kids to get bored because i can see that boredom is where creativity happens Mm. and i and i think a lot of parents worry that their kids are going you know if their child has a struggle that this is going to turn into something huge and that they're going to have lifelong problems and having worked in mental health services i've seen loads of kids get better and loads of kids do really really well and i think if if you can bring down that anxiety the parental anxiety the kids do 10 times better 10 times faster uh, and and sometimes that's just about I suppose relating to parents and saying, you know what, you're doing a great job here. And, and you know, the fact that your child is a bit anxious or the fact that your teenager is a bit depressed, it's not all about you and you don't have to blame <laughs> yourself for everything. And, you know, it's it's OK to not be the perfect parent because they're not the perfect child either. You know, and that's OK. And nobody's ever gotten it right across the whole history of time. And, and I kind of think my parents' generation, there was a lot more sort of, of a, it takes a whole village to raise a child. There's a lot of community. There were a lot of aunties and uncles and bigger families and people helping each other out. And now people are quite isolated. And I think the pandemic has really 
uh, illustrated that, you know, and, and so that's made it even harder. And like, I'm lucky I have a, a very hands on supportive husband. And I think, God, people, you know, single parents are just I just can't imagine how much work they have to do to be all things to their kids. And I'm just in awe of, of what single parents do, you know. Um, so, I, yeah, I would love if parents just allowed themselves to just breathe and go you know what it's okay they'll be fine most people turn out fine it's okay even if they have their wobbles it, it'll be fine lazy parenting <laughs> Fabi, i saw you and noticed you nodding and smiling there what what was resonating for you yeah i i agree i specifically going back to that mom i told her you, you can't if you're at target and or at the store and your your child is having a meltdown you can't you can't worry about the other people, they do not know what's going on. They don't. And if you stress yourself with how you're, you know, the tantrum that he's having, you're gonna, it's too much for you. And then I also tell my parents or my families when I'm working with them, you know, even as grownups, if you missed your snack, <laughs> you didn't sleep well, you're going to be a little bit, you know, on edge too. So, so it's okay. And, and like Jackie said earlier, just cut yourself some slack. Just, just relax. We're all human. I missed my snack today. So if I'm a little on edge, now you know why. <laughs> I got plenty of sleep though. So I think that's compensating for it. <laughs> no, that I think that is really, that's really interesting. I, and you know what it reminded me of is, so when we observe other children, and I'm curious about the two of you, I know, Fabi, you don't have kids. Jackie, you have three. I don't have children. I have um, nine nieces and nephews, five who live close by. And what's interesting is when I observe them <laughs> behave or misbehave, I often think about like, when I was their age, I never, <laughs> like my parents would have never, right? So there's some judgment about what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate, what I think their kids at that, that age should be doing and whatever. So I'm curious, and uh, maybe you don't want to say it here, but what do you secretly judge <laughs> when working with kids? Like, is there a little comparison that happens? Like, well, when I work with these types of children or when I work in these environments or when I, I remember my own childhood, like, where do you start to notice your judgmental self? Ooh, that's a hard question, Valerie. I know. <laughs> I'm thinking I, I actually, I would struggle most with teenagers where I was working with where the parents weren't on board actually the opposite you know you have loads of parents who stress out because they want to get it right and they want to do everything they can to help and 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 sometimes exhaust themselves trying to fix everything um and then you have occasionally parents who are just completely hands-off and that was always a bit bothersome because well certainly for me working with teenagers I sometimes felt like I was the responsible adult in their life you know and that's mm -hmm. a lot of responsibility as a, a therapist or a clinician to hold when you feel like oh my god this kid actually doesn't have an adult mm. who's looking out for them or who is minding them in that way you know emotionally or whatever that's the bit where I would struggle a bit and go oh come mm. on you know these how, how are we going to just get these parents on board somehow or bridge that gap mm. so there's a lazy parent spectrum it sounds like yeah. <laughs> there's, 
there's a little too yes too yes. much yes. loose yes there there's a little bit of engagement that's required at least to create the support system it sounds like yeah, yeah. well there's a there's a whole attachment thing and fabi will, will be very familiar with this working with speech as well there's there's a whole layer of attachment underneath everything what do you so mean if you that? haven't got that basic connection and it doesn't take a huge amount you know a lot of the research says if you if you kind of get if you are doing good connecting with your child 30 percent or more of the time you're going to have a securely attached child and that's not too bad you know most parents find that oh my god that's actually not too bad i think i'm okay you know whereas mm-hmm. we, we kind of think it should be 80 percent or 90 percent or whatever but if you if you get occasionally families who are doing like 10 percent that's the worry that's mm-hmm. the hard bit because it's very hard to fix a broken attachment it's easy to fix the problems that are on the surface if that if that's there if that core bit is there you can work with anybody but if they don't want to do that if they don't feel connected to their kid that's really hard mm. Oof. Fabi, what are your thoughts on on any of this <laughs> yeah um kind of going back a little to um what you had asked earlier what you judge about children or parents <laughs> yes um on my end uh i feel like it's a, it, it is a spectrum you are going to have those parents that are very lazy per se or just don't let's call it hands off hands on maybe lazy puts a lot of it puts a little stigma. <laughs> yeah, uh, like that dedication, you know? And I think that occasionally I did have those parents where I would give them very simple instructions. Like I did research and prepared all of this information and provided them with all of these skills to continue to do it at home with them. And they wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was disappointing. And that was, those were the moments where I, I was like, I'm getting you everything on a pedestal. You should be doing this. This is great stuff. This is how you're going to see your child make progress. And they were just very dismissive of it. It's it's a small percentage. I think a lot of people fall in, in the range of like, okay, I try. Sometimes they get around to it. Um, that's where probably the majority falls. But there were there's that percentage that's just not consistently giving that dedication. How do you guys how do you manage the level of energy? I mean, your, your commitment to the work you do, the challenges that you have to face, the responsibility that you take on, the people who hold you responsible or have expectations. Like, how do you guys take care of yourselves? Like, what, what do you do to ground yourself to not let all those things hang out and weigh you down? I, on my end, I have to remember that I, I'm not magic, (laughs) so I'm not gonna just, you know, correct everything. I'm gonna do my absolute best and to re-energize or to give, uh, to give them your all, you really just have to look at them. They deserve the best from you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just by looking at them, you're, you're going to give it your all. Um, because there are going to be those days where I missed my snack. I didn't go to sleep when I had to. So my energy level may just not be at that optimal level. However, seeing them reminds you that they deserve the best from you. And it Mm -hmm. just, the boost of energy so getting sleep and getting your snack that's all that you require <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely Honestly, high on the list yeah for sure 
honestly, as well as um, just talking to colleagues or having support, you know, I, I see a therapist and, and um, the, it's been super, super helpful and mm -hmm. kind of bringing myself to that human level versus like being magical and just correcting everything. Because I think I, when I was younger, that was kind of more the mentality that I had. And now I've come to really understand, no, I'm human and it's okay. Mm. Jackie? Yeah, I uh, I took up drumming <laughs> <laughs> to get out of a bit of frustration in my early forties, uh, which is a bit late. I'm a bit late, a bit of a late bloomer. No, I I it was very intense work, um, and that's why big part of why I made a change last year and took a break from it because I'd been doing it nonstop pretty much for seventeen years. Um, I experienced burnout a couple of times, um, not to a level very very much a functioning burnout where I was able to continue working um, and giving the young people I was working with everything. But then I would have almost nothing left by the time I got home for anybody else or anything else. Um, so I had to kind of deal with that very quickly when I it took it took a while to realize what was happening because they were two very different experiences for two diff different reasons. Um, but um, dealing with that was just kind of not taking on new stuff um, mm. getting more sleep, trying to get more rest at home, trying to switch off more, all of that kind of stuff. But I do think a certain amount of the training I had, even in college and on placement and stuff uh, was very helpful. And my, my, my second job, my, when I was working with adults, I learned something really valuable, which was, that idea that you mentioned, Fabi, of not feeling kind of all magical or omnipotent, maybe sometimes that, you know, you're not God, you can't fix everything. And uh, I, I really learned that the hard way when I was working with adults, because I worked um, with a couple of adults who had a lot of suicidal thoughts. And I remember one or two Fridays with different people that I would um have a very emotional person telling me how suicidal they were. And I would call on one of the doctors to do a, a sort of a, an assessment, a risk assessment, because I was afraid to let them go for the weekend because they were very distressed. And the doctors who would see them would go, oh, they're fine, they're grand, and let them go. And I worried the whole weekend about what, whether I was going to see them the next week. And then they came in the following week happy had a great weekend everything was well and i just realized oh my god they literally offloaded the whole lot on me on friday and left it in my office and walked away from it and i carried it and i kind of thought what are you doing you idiot you know you you it's not your job to fix everything they're grown-ups they're adults they're going to make decisions hopefully they'll make the right decisions you equip them you give them everything you have and all the support but then you have to let go and trust that they're going to make the right decision and if they don't you can't hold that you can't mm -hmm. you see them for an hour you know you're not god you don't control their universe their circumstances or their decisions so you have to learn how to let go and that was a really valuable lesson for me professionally to switch off when i came home mm. so i think that that helped a lot and and there was a lot of training involved i think as well in, in learning to switch off so even things like changing your clothes when you came in or uh, you, you can't you can't carry too much work home when you have kids because you're in the door and you're into a new, another role 
Mm -hmm. I used to joke about about having four shifts in my day. You know, morning shift was getting everybody up and breakfast and out to school. And then there was work. And then there was evening shift, which is getting everybody fed and homework done and all of that. And then there was night shift, which was everything else happened. All the family plans and holidays and whatever else had to happen then after bedtime. So it was like having four shift lifestyle, you know. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, you know, so, I think about in terms of the sorry, I cut you off. What were you no, saying? No, no, it's OK. But it, it is good because it compartmentalized things. So, yeah. you know, you go home from work and you don't have time to think about it because there's kids in your house to be fed or collected mm-hmm. or taken to soccer or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's I think, you know, you said a couple of things. Both of you have when it comes to the self-care piece. And I was just thinking about for myself. My mom brought this up actually in conversation the other day because she said, you know, I'm a, I'm a leadership coach. And so I'm talking to people one-on-one on a regular basis or facilitating workshops. And she asked me, how do you let, how do you, what do you do so that all that stuff doesn't stick with you? Like, you know, when people are dealing with things that are difficult or challenging or supporting them and creating some strategy. And it's interesting. So I think it's something shifted this year and I can't quite place my finger on what it is yet. But I've been, you know, I've had a meditation practice for the last four or five years, you know, daily for the most part. Um, so I think that also helps ground me. I, I, I tend not, things don't tend to stick as easily. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a lot more centered, so I don't feel like I have to grab it. But there's something particular that the two of you said that that's interesting, you know, about being magical or omnipotent, that there are moments now that I'm much more conscious that, oh, it's not my problem to fix. Oh yeah. Wait, no, it's not my problem to fix. I'm just a resource. I might provide an experience of using certain tools or modality that helps them sort it for themselves, but I don't have to carry the problem solving, (laughs) the, you know, the, 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 the record player, the responsibility. Yeah. yeah, I don't have to carry that. And, you know, to your point, Jackie, I remember in a couple of occasions when I felt like a you know, coaching session just, oh, did that did not go well. Like things didn't seem to land. I don't really feel like they made the progress that they could have made. Ah, I should have done this instead, or I should have asked that instead or whatever. Um, and then like the next session, it was like, oh my gosh, guess what? I did. And I was like, huh? ah. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of disappointed after the session, but something like opened up. So I think from those experiences, I started to learn that actually my job is if I could just point people in a direction in the conversation or that's actually plenty. And then, you know, we, as adults, we know like how to fill in the blanks if we need to, or take the next step when we need to. Um, But just a small nudge actually can be a huge shift for people, but we don't have to be like, we don't have to be the shift. Yes, and I I love that. And I love that idea. And I used to say to to parents coming in as well, you know, this is a process. I don't therapy anybody because you can't. If somebody doesn't want to engage in the process, they're not going to engage. So it's a two way thing. So, you know, if I can connect with a young person and they're willing to talk to me, then we make progress. But all I've got to work with is what they tell me. Mm -hmm. So if they choose not to tell me anything, I'm stuck. I'm useless. So I love that idea that it's something that happens in the middle, that it's not me, it's not them. It's something that happens in the middle mm-hmm. with that relationship and that connection. The alchemy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Fabio, you were going to say something? 
Yeah, I think it can be a challenge, you know, definitely like we can get very involved, we can get very detailed with things and almost to, to an extent want to have too much control of things, you know, and that's just uh, not healthy and sometimes like kind of like how you just let go and you were just more, um, well, we'll see how it goes, you know, I, I gave it my all. Then, then you do see this progress or you do see these little things and then you kind of saved yourself energy yeah. <laughs> by, by letting go and not keeping it, you know, at, 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 as a priority per se. Mm. You know, I think you just said something really interesting. The idea of using energy, like if that, the purpose is actually to create energy in the experience for them to propel themselves, but not to be the energy source. Yes. Like to, to create a dependency or an attachment, but just to, to generate energy in the conversation or in the exercise or whatever, so that they can start to produce whatever results they want. Yeah. That's interesting. Huh? What do you guys do for fun? I mean, I've, I mean, after all of this stuff that you're talking about, really profound, I mean, you hold, you're talking about holding people's well-being in your hands for at least that session, right? Or many people's well-beings. How do you just ah, relax or blow off steam or you know, drumming? I know and getting a snack and sleep. I get that, but beyond that, I I like Zumba. I love dancing, so I I do Zumba as often as I can. Uh, I'm exploring more activities that I can do. Um, I haven't. With the pandemic, of course, it's been kind of a slow thing, but I want to do like kickboxing or something, mm -hmm. just where I can release my energy. Um, but Zumba for sure. Zumba. Yeah, and, dr and drumming is fairly new uh, for me just the last few years. And I just love it because you get to take out any frustration you have. We have, I, I'm in a small class, a class of four of us. We joke about being the geriatric class. We're all over 40 <laughs> latecomers. We have we have a, a teacher who's great fun. And actually, honestly, half of the class is spent teasing each other, making jokes, innuendos like it's just it, it's just wild. What <laughs> so, kind of drumming? Yeah. Yeah. What kind of drumming is it? Drum kit drumming. Really? Yes. Yeah. In a class, like you have multiple people on drum kits. Yes. Yeah. Electric kits and the teachers on a, 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 a proper kit okay uh, yeah an acoustic kit so yeah it's it's fun it's Interesting. fun but, Trump, yeah. yeah so that's my big one i suppose uh i love art i love writing i like keeping in touch with people um i connect with friends i that's probably my mo my biggest energizer is meeting friends and meeting people yeah. and talking to people i like talking to like here yeah. <laughs> um yeah. i just get great energy I, I i love people and i'm really curious about people so yeah I, I i get a lot of energy from other people i'm the same way i'm trying to remember jackie what what was it that we why did i reach out to you or you reach out to me like what was it that well i think because i started up a new business i think you popped up on linkedin or something as a suggested <laughs> connection or something like that uh so I was trying to figure out how all of that stuff worked because this is a whole new adventure for me and uh, just, yeah, trying to reconnect with people and, and find a new tribe in a way because I, like you said, uh, Fabi, the support at work and the colleagues are huge mm. for keeping you sane and that coffee room was just 
that's just a, a haven um, in the storm of every day and not to have that anymore is is a little strange so i'm i'm pushing myself to sort of find my new group and sometimes that's online and now thankfully the lockdown here has has lifted a little bit so we're able to have a coffee outside or go for a walk um with friends and i'm partially vaccinated um so far and lots of my friends are now as well so that gives us a little bit more freedom so yeah meeting people for coffees and connecting with people even on zoom talking to friends whatsapp whatever just staying connected is that why you started drinking coffee so that you could stay connected with people that is exactly why i started (laughs) are you serious no (laughs) she told i think you missed it fabi you may have dropped at that point but you might tell jackie you might tell fabi what you told me about your habit (laughs) all your habits I was explaining that I'm a slightly unusual Irish person because I don't drink tea or and I didn't drink coffee till I was in my 40s. I didn't drink alcohol till I was 26, which is probably unheard of for an Irish person. And I um, I took up the drums at 41. So I think I'm doing everything backwards. So I reckon by the time I'm 70, I'll be doing hard drugs or, or all the stuff <laughs> that I you know might have done in college that I didn't do. Is there, so is there I'm, a, I'm a, bit of a late bloomer? Is there a reason that you tried some of those things at, at a later time versus like, you know, peers did it at a sooner type of thing. I know. Yes, this is a whole long story. Uh, it might be an interesting one, but um, I, I suppose take alcohol, for example. It, culturally, most people will drink in their late teens, uh, if not earlier in Ireland, but definitely by the time they're heading to college, most people will drink some socially and some perhaps to excess um i didn't um uh, neither of my parents drink which is probably a part of it mm. um and uh but not not anti-drink they you know there was always alcohol in my house my mother would be very generous my friends love coming to visit my house because my mother would give measures that were way above and beyond normal measures and being <laughs> she didn't about know. It. <laughs> it wasn't that there was any anti-alcohol vibe but I I just didn't and I didn't it felt right for me and I didn't understand why and there were a thousand small reasons but none that made sense to me and until I was 26 and I had this aha moment at 26 which is really funny now when I look back on it where I realized that not drinking was a kind of a little bit of a rebellious act it was a, a sort of a statement of individuality I did not want to do what people wanted me to do. I was like, no, I will do if I want to drink, I'll drink when I'm ready to drink and when I feel like drinking and not because I should or because everybody's doing it. This is so it was a sort of a conservative rebellion. Uh, And when I understood that, then I kind of went, oh, okay. but actually, whether I drink alcohol or I don't drink alcohol is not who I am as a person and it doesn't define my individuality. So I can let that go now. That's okay. So it was a bit of a strange one. Fascinating. I I think I had my first alcoholic drink when I was 21, which is the legal age here, because I was not, again, my parents also did not drink. We didn't have any alcohol at home. Or if we did, it was because someone left it there from a a gathering of some sort. They brought a bottle of wine or some beer or something. But we're like, I, I don't remember seeing my parents drink, which I know they did, but it was never like a thing for us. Um, and so, yeah, alcohol has never been a big part. And I used to really, I was very judgmental when I was in college. I'm probably still a little judgmental, truth be told, but about other things. But I'm, I remember just kind of like my first college party, 
and everybody was drinking and was really to excess in many cases. And they, the conversations were so inane. I'm like, how can anybody enjoy a party when you can't talk to people? Cause they don't make any sense. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't be here. I can't be around drunk people. It's like, can't stand having to have the same conversation over and over again. And as much as I love to talk, <laughs> it's like, this is not fulfilling. Um, so a lot of it had to do with that. And, you know, of course I have had more than, than that since then, but it's like, it's never been high on my list of anything. No, not for me, but interestingly, I was really surprised that I never in my entire youth, never, ever experienced any peer pressure about drinking ever mm. when I didn't drink. And it wasn't until I started taking an occasional drink and I still don't drink very much, but when I started to drink, that was when I experienced the peer pressure. What? Very interesting. What do you mean? When when it was black and white, I just didn't drink and people accepted yeah. that and they said, oh, she doesn't drink, you know, whereas when I started to take a drink, then it was, would you like a glass of wine? I'd say, no, I'm fine. I go on, have a glass of wine. You know you want a glass of wine. Go on, I'll pour you one. You think, hey, go on. And and this starts, and this is it, it's. I mean, it was mild. It wasn't any sort of major pressure, but it was really. I've never, I never experienced any persuasion around alcohol until I drank, and and it was like you need to. Maybe it's an Irish. Oh, we were thing. Maybe it's a cultural thing. You sometimes feel like you need to justify not drinking if you're out. Ah, you know, uh, so, you know, you have to kind of say, well, I'm not drinking tonight because I'm the designated driver. Whereas if you don't drink, it's just no, I don't, I drink. don't drink. You know, because if I if I went to the pub with my friends in my late 30s or my mid 30s, um, maybe before I had kids and I said, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. They'd be like, are you pregnant? <laughs> no. I'm, you know, I'm not pregnant. Are you the designated driver? No, I just don't want to drink. I was like, go on, have a glass of wine. <laughs> so it's a funny thing. I, I was really surprised by that. That's fascinating. Yeah. Fabi, where do you stand in all this? I, how we ended up talking about specifically alcohol? Our <laughs> Irish guest to turn us in that direction. <laughs> um, I, I've had instances where I just, um, you know, I'm not planning to drink, but I just saw that people will get off your back. You just to set the cup and you just don't drink it. They're like, oh, you're still full. Yeah, I'm good. You know, and, and you just, they, they get off your back because they, they want you to be part of that community that's drinking and kind of going back to like, uh, when people are already inebriated and I remember mm -hmm. I, I got to a party and for me it was funny because by the time I got there everybody was pretty much drunk already and I, I thought it was funny how like they were just laughing and you know um, their inhibitions were down and people were just being very silly so mm. that was um, my experience <laughs> with that. <laughs> well I think the thing for me is that alcohol makes me very sleepy mm. so I Personally, I mean, I'll like a little champagne or something like that, a glass of wine, maybe. But my, um, I, I feel pretty uninhibited generally and I'm fairly joyful anyways, but it, it depressed me. And I didn't like that. I did not, I didn't like feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to like stay awake or I felt like I had to somehow bring some level of energy um, because it, yeah, it just didn't do anything for me. So. I think it's fascinating. And um, and I don't drink coffee. I just don't care for the, I like the smell. I think the smell is kind of nice, but it's I, the same. flavor 
I was the same. The I hated the taste of it, but I loved the smell of it. But then somebody introduced me to a, a latte with some some kind of cocoa thing in it. And it was like, oh, this is kind of like hot chocolate with a kick. I could I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that. Then I, I but I, I'm like one coffee a day. That's it now, you know. Coffee, coffee drinker. Uh, I have black coffee. Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, you like mainline this stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I love tea. I have chamomile tea, English breakfast. I have all kinds of teas at home. And yeah, I, we have a good variety, but I definitely do black coffee. I think people are surprised, especially like if I'm, you know, going through a drive through and I ask for, for black coffee, they're like, you don't want sugar and cream, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any special... <laughs> Like the special Starbucks orders where you have all these like half cup, you know, full pump. I don't even know what this yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. I know it gets it gets creative. Um, the reason I I try to have my beverages without um sugar is that I know a couple of years ago I had put on a lot of weight and um I started talking with the trainer and we realized that a lot of my calories were coming from sweet tea, <laughs> you know, with with sugar and I just kind of started having everything without oh, sugar. Yeah. Uh, I need Fabi in my life. Brave. <laughs> I think that's brave. brave. I need sugar in my life. <laughs> uh, I need to lessen the impact of sugar on my life. But uh, look, I know we could go on and on. I, I, I can't believe the time has already flown by so much, but I want to ask you guys, what was this experience like? I know we started talking about kind of, you know, your career and got a little bit heavy in some areas there around it. And then ended up talking about getting drunk and drinking coffee. So look at that. <laughs> so how did we do going from the speakable to the unspeakable, would you guys say in this podcast? I think I think we did really good. I think that the conversation just flowed. I think that we, you know, um, it flowed. How did you feel? Good, happy, excited, relaxed. <laughs> And at the beginning, before we started, like if you could compare and contrast when we started to now, what would you say is different? Uh, I think I'm more relaxed. I think that I just needed to uh, put my feet in the water. Mm. So it, it was a lot of fun. I, I was really excited that um, you paired me with somebody from Ireland. I know I, I said earlier that I've always wanted to visit and uh, I thought, I just thought it was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I was super excited, um, but it, it was, it was very filling. It was a great conversation. Hey, Jackie, what about for you? Yeah, I really enjoyed it too. I, I love conversations that go in crazy directions, although I'm quite <laughs> sure that after this, I will go and go, oh, what did you say that for? <laughs> but I'm, going, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm not going to overthink it. I, I'm, you know, this is me. Take it or leave it. <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah, so. And all, you know, is not unusual, including me. I've had those moments where I call it a vulnerability hangover in some cases, right? You share something, you're like, why did I say that? Oh, I didn't want to talk about it like that or whatever. Um, and I, I say, thank you. I'm glad that you did. What was the most um, interesting or surprising thing about this conversation for both of you? Honestly? <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, <laughs> Jackie's and milestones with some beverages and items. <laughs> <laughs> The fact that she's going to do hard drugs when she's 70. That was a joke. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> 
I just think I'm doing everything backwards, but I'm hoping that I'm going to get younger looking as well. I hey. doing things in the opposite direction. <laughs> Benjamin Button McGovern. <laughs> I know. Well, you asked about the impact of working with young people, and I would genuinely say it keeps you young because it keeps you on your toes. You 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 stay tuned into what's going on for them as well, and I I hope that there's a little bit of that that's true. <laughs> Any surprises for you, or anything that you found interesting, Jackie? No, I I just I really loved uh, learning about what you do, Fabi, and chatting to you, and I just really enjoyed the conversation. It was great. Yay! So I'm curious what, I know I asked most of the questions, but what questions would you have asked or would you have, would you like to ask? I, I was curious to know what age group you work with, Fabi. It sounds like it's younger, early intervention, is it? Um, the bulk of my experience is with early intervention. I just started working for a school district. So now I do um, elementary. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they're still young and at that awesome age and it's actually been quite interesting because I have so much experience with like those preschoolers and now being with the like the personalities how they change and some of the conversations that you can have and it's it's been very neat cool good stuff have you any questions yeah um, well, I feel like I did ask the ones that uh, in the moment where <laughs> I was curious about the, the beverage selection and, you know, ages when you decided to take them, have them. Um, and I think when you were explaining how, how uh, you went through school and the different stages, like, I feel like that was the information um, for me as far as like, um, how Ireland worked compared to, I guess, what I, my experience here in America. What do yeah. you mean? In what way is that different? Um, because she, she had to get placed with uh, the uh, Child Protective Services. And I don't know if we have to do that here, like if it's a, a... Yeah, well, that was more for university for a placement in, in, in social work. You had two placements that you had to do and they had to be varied, but okay. one of them... There was a kind of a general, it wasn't an absolute rule, but there was a kind of a general requirement that you would do three months in child protection to get a sense of how that worked. And and because that was where the majority of the jobs were. Okay. So, yeah. Interesting. What? No, first of all, this was the first podcast either of you have done. What are you taking away from this experience? Hmm. I, I just, I love the fact that... Um, it can go anywhere. The, the conversation could go in any direction. I kind of like the unpredictability of it. <laughs> unpredictability. That's my middle name sometimes. Sometimes I just get bored with the conversation. Not bored, but like, okay, let's find something else to talk about. Just like you would if we were in person, likely, right? Or if we had more time. So that's sometimes I throw a little bit of a spin in there. So cool. I'm glad unpredictability gets a point. Fabi, what about for you? What are you taking away from this first experience? Um, I really enjoyed it. I liked how there was a little structure, but there was so much room for, for us to make our own direction with it. I thought that was really neat and I really enjoyed it. Yay. Well, you're welcome to connect beyond this. You know, I, I, I facilitate the first one, but anything after that is up to you. Well, Fabi's <laughs> got to come to Galway now. Yeah, now you have to go. That's it. Yeah, right. it's not, it's 
going on my vision board. Hey, <laughs> and Jackie, hey, come come to Texas. Yeah, I Here think it might be a bit hot for me. Well, you don't have to come in the summer. What's the coldest season? <laughs> um, December 18th. <laughs> that is the day. I remember that date. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's not a very lengthy season of chilled weather or cool weather here, but you know, you know, we get all four. We get all four seasons, so we don't complain. Well, actually, that's not true. A lot of people complain. I enjoy all of it. Like right now, it just started raining all of a sudden, like completely the skies burst open and it was super sunny earlier and it'll be nice and humid for a while. And then the sun will come out. It'll be a hundred degrees again, felt Fahrenheit and it'll be great. <laughs> but look at that. We went from sweater the... in this heat. Sorry. You look like you're wearing a sweater. Oh, that's only for video. Because okay. <laughs> I love that. This color looks good on me. That's all. <laughs> all of us wore like these royal colors. I love it. Like the mm. navy and dark green and the, yes, purple. Very nice. We all coordinated. We didn't even there talk about it. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you both so much for saying yes and allowing me to, to sponsor and host your first podcast experience. And I'm glad to hear that you took something away or that you found it relaxing and easy to, to get into a conversation and appreciated the unpredictability. Any final words as we close our time together? Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoyed um, hearing from Jackie and her story and her um, experience in the mental health world. Um, so thank you for, for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I echo that. Absolutely. Thanks a million. Absolutely. Well, anytime. There are other opportunities, by the way, not only for the two of you, but also for our listeners. We host on a quarterly basis a gathering for not only those who have participated in the podcast as guests, but also our special listeners who would like to connect with them. And this is an opportunity to continue to build your not quite strangers network with other people who are not quite strangers because you've either seen them on the podcast or you heard them. And we will be sending that out. If you subscribe to our, our, to our list, our mailing list, you'll get an invitation and it's free of charge. It's just an opportunity for us to build a community. If you go to www.notquitestrangers.com and subscribe there, one, you will get all the episodes, including this one, straight into your inbox so you don't miss a single one. We also share connection challenges every other week. So beyond just listening to interesting conversations like the one we just had, people who would like to participate and continue to expand their own communities in their world and their in, in where that wherever they live these connection challenges are to do just that and then we have our quarterly meetings like i said so make sure that you subscribe www.notquitestrangers.com so you get a chance to get in on all of that fun all right jackie fabby it's been a treat thank you so very much for everything that you shared i think there are some also some really wonderful treats so for those families who are dealing with things either in mental health spectrum or working with, with the students that have, or children that have uh, speech impediments or speech uh, challenges. Obviously the two of you are pros. And if you're open to it, I'd love to include your contact information or website or email or whatever you think is appropriate. So look for that in the show notes and you can reach out to them for any resources or ideas or recommendations. Yes? Yes. Fantastic. I mean, I, I've asked you on air, so I kind of obligated you to share it. You don't have to. We'll put a bogus one if you decide not to. 
Oh, what? This link is no longer active? <laughs> no worries. All right. Thank you, ladies, so much. Thank you all for joining us for this episode of Not Quite Strangers. Looking forward to the next one. Have a wonderful rest of the day, everybody. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to the podcast, Not Quite Strangers. Be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite video or podcast platform. And for more information and content, go to notquitestrangers.com. See you next time.